We start a brand new series this morning called Joyride. Joyride. We're on a joyride because uh, 17 times in the book of Philippians, the word joy or rejoice is used. And so this is the theme of the book. Uh, the series is called Joyride. And I'm really excited to jump into Philippians chapter 1. I think uh, I've done, in 25 years, I've done two uh, series out of the book of Philippians. And uh, I think the last one was about seven years ago. And, uh, but how many, know, how many have ever read the Bible and I mean, you've read the same verse, the same chapter, the same passage, and then you've never saw that before? It's like it just exploded off of the page. And how many know, I, I can preach out of this passage today and the same passage next week, and we would probably discover some things next week that we didn't even discover today. That's the power of the Word of God. It's just so deep and powerful, and, uh, and I'm, I'm pumped. How many are pumped? All right. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all, uh, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with, with what? There's the theme, because of your partnership, keyword partnership, because of your partnership in the gospel. Now this is, uh, verse six is like, this is like a Christian coffee mug verse. In fact, there's several in the book of Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Philippians 4, 13. Uh, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 19. Philippians chapter two is really awesome. God, Jesus, who did not consider equal, equal, uh, robbery to be equal with God, considered himself with no reputation. That's Philippians chapter, there's so many awesome verses, but Philippians 1, 6, this is a great verse right here. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Find about three people around you say, God's not done with you yet. God's not done with you yet. That's kind of what verse 6 is saying right there. God's not, come on, find a couple more people. God's not done with you yet. All right, all right, stop. Verse 7, verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Lord, thank you for the word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God. Let your word have free course to move in our hearts. Teach us something new out of this passage, we pray. Minister to us, correct us, exhort us, challenge us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated there. You may be seated there. How many are thankful for the word of God? Amen. All right. So I said... Uh, the word joy is the theme of the book of Philippians. It's used 17 times, either joy or rejoice. And just look at me for a second. I wanna, I wanna break this down because I think we're a little confused sometimes about happiness and joy. Two different things, happiness and joy. Happiness is really external. Joy is an inside thing. Check it out. I don't know about you, but I, I never really did good in school. And uh, so I never looked forward to school. So like kind of Sunday night, waking up on Monday morning, um, because I didn't really enjoy school, I didn't do good at school, was I happy or unhappy on Monday morning? Typically on Sunday night, I would be depressed because I always waited to do my homework until about nine o'clock on Sunday night. 
So on Sunday night or Monday morning, unhappy, unhappy, but about Friday, about three o'clock in the afternoon, because school was over, happy. How, how many feel like that about your job? Don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. You might have a manager or supervisor in the building here. Um, have you ever felt like waking up on Monday morning, you're like unhappy, traffic, I got a whole week, but Friday at like five or 5.30, woo, I got the weekend. And that's happy, it's, it's basing, and it's basing it on external things. Go on vacation, there's nothing like jumping on an airplane and go, like when you know you're going to Hawaii for eight or nine days. That is awesome. You know what's depressing? When you're in the airport in Waikiki to come home. So I, I was happy on the way to vacation, but I mean, I'm unhappy when I have to get back to work. Come on, true or false, right? So happiness is external based on circumstances in my life, but joy is an inside thing. Let me just quote Romans 14, 17. It's not coming on the screen, but it says this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And how many know there's a lot of people that are happy, but they're not joyful. And, and there's, there's a big difference. And I, I want to live a life of joy. I want to know, how many of you were raised in the church? Like you went to Sunday school and all that stuff. Let me see your hand. Why, why do you like, you know, some of you are scared. Like, I'm not going to, just raise your hand. Okay. And remember that song we used to sing in Sunday school? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down, come on, sing it. Where? Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. To stay, right? Where is it at? The joy's where? It's in my heart. It's not based on external things. It's not based on whether I get the job or not. It's not based on whether I get married or not or have kids or not or get sick or not. It's an inside thing. It's found joy. Biblical joy is found in my heart. So all hell can be breaking loose on the outside. How many know I can have joy on the inside? In fact, let me give you a definition of joy. Ready? I don't know if you have time to write it down, but joy, ready? Joy is a supernatural delight. It's a supernatural delight. Let me say it again. Joy is a supernatural delight in three things. Number one, the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. Let me say it again, because some of you type A people are like, what, what did you say, what did you say, what did you say? Here we go, I'm gonna say it one more time. Joy is a supernatural delight in the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. I'll say it one more time. Joy is a supernatural delight in the, the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. Can we break it down a little bit more? Can I break it down a little bit, this section here? Okay, so number one, joy is supernatural. Listen, it's supernatural. Hey, where are you going? Well, I gotta go down to Walmart, get some milk and eggs, and I think I'll buy some joy. No, save the gas. You can't find joy at Walmart or Target. It's, it's, it's what? Supernatural, okay? Let's break it down. It's found in the, number one, the person of God. Have you ever met someone that like, they lost a loved one, oh, they lost their job, and you talk to them, and, and not that it wasn't difficult, but they, they still exude a joy about their life. You're like, how can you have joy in the midst of what you're walking through? Because they found it in the person of God. Again, you can have bad days and obstacles and challenges and lose your job and get kicked out of your apartment, but you can still have joy because joy is found in the inside. It's found in the person of God. Number two, in the purposes of God. 
This is one of the verses we quote more than any other verse in the church. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know the plans I have for you. People are like, well, yeah, he's just like out to get me and, and he's mad at me. No, no, no. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What are the plans? To prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. That's it. Do you know what your purpose is in life? So many people, they just wake up and they're going to work, going to school, doing their thing. You know that God has a purpose for you? Number one, it's to give God glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, mailman, nurse, doctor, whatever you do, it all for the glory of God. So when you go to your job tomorrow, guess what? Your purpose in going to work is to give glory to God. That's your purpose. And then, let me say this, everybody in the room, everybody watching online, do you know that you have a spiritual gift? Most Christians don't even know what their spiritual gift is. I have the gift of leadership, teaching, and kind of like evangelism. That's really about my two and a half things. But now I'm going to focus on what God's gifted me to do. Do you know what your gift is? Do you know what your purpose is? Not only do you give God glory, but God's given you a purpose to use your gifts for his glory to reach people for Jesus Christ. So it's a supernatural delight in the person of God, the purposes of God, and then, I like this, and the people of God. I like coming to church. It's different than going to work or going to school, isn't it? Just, come on, just look around. It's the people of God. I just can't wait to see some of you on Sunday morning because we have something in common. Or better yet, we have someone in common. And I mean, it's, coming to church on Sunday is different than going to your job on, because you might have a couple Christians there. But isn't it fun to be around the people of God? That's why I like coming to church. That's why you should be here every single Sunday morning unless you're out of town or sick. More to come on that in a little bit. But joy is a supernatural delight in the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. Okay, so that's the introduction. Joy. Can we get into the text now? All right, here's the, here's the title of my message. You were made for this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you were made for this. You were made for this. Made for what? Made for what, Pastor Steve? You were made, look at me, you were made for relationships. You were made for, fel- here's the, the Christian word, fellowship, community. You were made for this. Check out verse 5. Paul says, because of your, NIV, because of your partnership in the gospel from, in this, from this day until now. Partnership. Someone say partnership. Uh, we, uh, another word would be fellowship or the word community. How many saw the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Good movie, wasn't it? But he got so lonely. I don't know how many days he was out on the island by himself. He got so lonely because he was meant to be in community with people that he got so lonely, what did he do? He turned a volleyball into a friend and called the volleyball Wilson. Why? Because he, he was, you and I are not meant to live in relationship like solo. We're, we're meant to be together with people. I mean, we're better together with people. We, we need one another. We need one another. And uh, the Bible says when God created everything in the book of Genesis, this was good, this was good, this was good, this was good. Heaven, good. Stars, good. Sun, good. Oceans, good. But then he created man and he says it's not good that man should be alone. And check out, you know what the enemy does? He wants to isolate us. He wants us to think that we're all by ourselves and nobody else cares. But we're better together. I like peanut butter. And I like jelly. But I like it better together. Too much peanut butter, you're like... You know what I'm saying? I like chips. And I like salsa. But I like them better together. By the way, 
I could be like really disciplined in my eating, but if you put chips and salsa in front of me, it is like my kryptonite. So stop dropping them off at my house, okay? So I like pizza and I like ranch dressing, but I like them better together. And how many know that we're better together? Check out this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter four, uh, coming up on the screen right here, it says this, two people are better off than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can what? Reach out and, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I wrote this in my notes. We're created for connection, but we drift toward isolation. We were all created for connection, but we drift toward isolation. So I'm gonna talk about fellowship or community. Two, two things I want to talk about. Number one, I want to talk about uh, the definition of community. Okay, the def- definition. That's the first point there if you're taking notes, the definition. And it's, help- it's helpful to define what community or fellowship is not, okay? So if, if Eric and I decide to go to Dodger game tonight, and we went to the Dodger game and we had a hot dog for like $18 and we had some peanuts and we talked about the Dodgers and the game and, and all we talked about the way down there and on the way back is the Dodgers and baseball, Did we have a good time together? Yeah, but did we have biblical fellowship just because two Christians got together? Not necessarily. A bunch of ladies got together and made cupcakes on a Monday night. Did you have a good time? Did you share recipes? Maybe, but did you have real biblical fellowship? Not necessarily, not necessarily. So it helps by defining what it isn't. Notice in verse five, the word partnership, it's the Greek word koinonia. And it means the sharing of life together. The first church in the book of Acts said that they did four things in Acts chapter two, verse 42. Notice, they continued steadfastly. They were committed to four things. The apostles' doctrine. Why do we study the Bible on Sunday morning? Because that's what the early church did. They studied the word of God. That's the first commitment. They were devoted, steadfast to the word of God. The second thing, they can... they, they got together in fellowship. There's the Greek word, a community, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. You know what I've discovered about happy hour? How many have ever been to happy hour? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you know what happy hour is? It's just a ch- like people just want to go there and build relationships and community. Why? Because you can drink by yourself at home. So they're looking for something that the bar or the club can't deliver. Because real biblical community and fellowship only happens, listen, in a theological and a biblical context. And it's the sharing of life together. In fact, communication experts tell us uh, there's three, th- three levels of communication. Number one, surface. Hey, did you check out, by the way, was the weather great yesterday or what? Hey, the weather, the weather's great and it's like 80 degrees. So this is like surface level stuff. Dude, those shoes are dope. That's a cool outfit. I like that. So that's surface stuff, right? That's not biblical fellowship. The second level is personal. We talk about our kids, our job, my problems, my wife. Sorry, I didn't mean to connect those two things. <laughs> my wife's in the back there. I apologize, honey. But you know, it's just kind of, kind of like, it's a little more intimate than kind of surface level stuff, but that's not biblical fellowship. Here's the third thing, intimate, intimate. And this, this is biblical community. This is biblical fellowship. My, listen, my concerns, my fears, my struggles, my addictions, my uncertainty, my sin. This is, this is biblical fellowship. You know what? I grew up going to the Catholic church a couple times a year. You know my story. Some, so many of you did too. I just thought 
that the most important thing to my parents and to God was church attendance. I just thought, like, that, that was the major thing. It's like, as long as I went to church, parents were happy and God was happy. But how I many know you can't do biblical community and fellowship in the lobby three minutes on Sunday morning? You need to go deeper than that. And, and how, how many of your Christian, you have kids, like, you know, junior high, high school, college? And if you're a good Christian parent and they start dating someone like in 18, one of the first questions you're going to ask is, are they a Christian? And right after that is, where do they go to, right? And they, sh they, sh they should be a Christian and they should go to church. But we just think, hey, as long as they're, doesn't matter how they live during the week, as long as they go to church on Sunday, they're good. And if you're a college student, you go off to college. And if you have good Christian parents, one of the first questions they're going to ask you when you go to San Diego State is, hey, did you find a, huh? And you lie to them. Yeah, I found a church. Where is it? Uh, it's Christian Missionary Alliance, Baptist Pentecostal, brother, lion, 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 lion. But listen, as long as mom and dad are happy that I'm going to church, and again, I want to say this. I think you should be in church every single Sunday morning unless you're out of town or sick. And all of God's people said, Amen. I think in the building, by the way, I think you should be in here. I know, but Pastor Steve, next week and we're having some friends and stuff come into town. They're going to stay at our house and we can't come next Sunday. No, you tell your friends and family, hey, you're welcome to stay at our house. But I'm going to wake you up at like 8 o'clock because we are going to church on Sunday morning. I don't think I want to go. Then you can pay for your own room in a hotel. Because it's for me and my house, we will go to church, okay? Because I think, I, I know this, awesome things happen in church. That was so weak. Like, awesome things happen when we come to church. Ready, ready for this? I got, I got saved in church. I got called to full-time, an evangelist called me out and said, God's calling you into full-time ministry. I stood up and he said, and 10 months later, I was in Bible college. I got married in the church. We dedicated our kids in the church. I got delivered and set free from stuff in the church. So I think church is really, really important. But listen, that's the starting point. You begin with church attendance, but you graduate to something deeper. It's called biblical community. It's called biblical fellowship. Come on, I need more amens than that. It's important. It's important. It's important. Let me just quote a verse, Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So we need people to speak into our life. Here, look at this verse, Galatians 6, 10, coming on the screen. Paul says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Notice this, look at the screen here. Especially to those who, keyword, to those who what? Belong, someone say belong, to the family of believers. Keyword in the text there is belong. God wants you to belong to a group of people, not just to attend a church service. I told you this many years ago. I met a, a lady, I think I was, we were out shopping or something, and she used to go to the church, but she wasn't coming anymore. And, and uh, I said, hey, how you doing? She said, good. And I said, oh, I haven't seen you in church in a while. She goes, yeah, I don't go anymore. And I'm like, okay, where do you go? And she says, I don't go anywhere. I'm like, okay. She said, <laughs> she said, I'm part of the invisible church. How I many know there are sometimes you just like, you want to like say something to someone and... But like, I'm a pastor, so like, you, you want to say like, you are weird is what you want to say. You want to say like, like, that, that's weird. And I didn't have the guts to say it then, but like, so if you're part of the invisible church, what does that mean? When you get sick, 
Doesn't James chapter 5 say, call for the elders of the church to lay hands on you and anoint you with oil? So if you're part of the invisible church, who do you call when you get sick? When you go into the hospital, who comes to visit you? The invisible pastor? When someone dies in your family, who does the ceremony? When you want to get married, who does the, who does the funeral? Who does the wedding? The invisible minister? This is a foreign concept in the Bible, the invisible church. We need to belong to a local group of people called biblical community. And everyone said amen. Why? Here's why. Look at me. Here's why. You can duck and dodge on a Sunday morning. You can sit all the way in the back. You can come in five minutes late, like some of you do. And during the last song, you can bolt out to your car and really not talk to anybody. True? And some of you, you just like, you're not people pursuing. Sit in the back, sit in the overflow, sit in the lobby, and you can duck and dodge in here. You can masquerade in here, and nobody will know at all. But if you're part of a small group of people that meets every Tuesday night, every Friday night, every other week, and you start ducking and dodging there, how many know they're going to call you out and call you up and say, where have you been? And we try to do our very best. My wife and I are always like, did you see so-and-so? Did you see so-and-so? And it's hard with hundreds of people. But if you're part of a small group, I'm telling you, man, you can't duck and dodge. Just like working out at the gym. It's one thing to work out by yourself, and it's another thing to work out with a group of people. Because we're gonna, I, I've told you, I go running by myself, I'm just like, I get tired, I'm like, I'm just gonna chill right here. You run with someone, they're like, go, let's go, push it, come on. You work, like you lift weights by yourself? Usually I'll do like 300 on the bench press. Why are you laughing? All right, 80 pounds on the bench press. But when you're working out with someone, they're like, hey, put something else on there. And I'm like, two reps, I'm like, two reps, I'm like, two reps. They're like, three more, let's go. How many know? By yourself, it's one. Come to church, just by yourself. I just come on Sunday morning, that's all I do. You don't have anybody to provoke you. I said it last week in the second service. You, look at me, you need people that know you and know you. You know what I mean by that? No, I don't, I'll tell you. You need people that K-N-O-W you, like they know you. They know your proclivities, your challenges, your struggles, they encourage you, they bless you, that, that really know you, like at a deeper level. And then you need some people that N-O-U. No, no, you are not going out with him. Loser. No. Someone say no. Like N-O. No, you are not walking out of the house with that outfit on. You're showing too much. How about all the other girls? Are? No, I don't care what the other girls are doing. No. All the God's people said. And so we need some people, we need some people that know us and will say no to us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why? Because we all have blind spots. Do you want to know why they call them blind spots? Duh. You can't see them. Duh. So you need some other people to point them out. Say, hey, that's not, that's not a group of friends you should be hanging out with. You should not be drinking and partying and sleeping around. No. No. And I'll tell you, that only happens when you're around a group of a couple people or a handful. It's hard to pull that off on a Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. Number two. So we talked about the definition. Number two, let's talk about the demonstration of community. The demonstration. Definition, demonstration. You got your Bibles there still? Verse 7. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you. In, this is so tender. He says, since I have you in my, where? Heart. Since I have you in my 
heart. Look up here for a second. I've discovered this about me. If I don't have people in my heart, they're on my nerves. Don't look at me. Like, I don't, if I don't have them in my heart, then just drive me crazy. So how do, we, how do we work out this fellowship, this community thing? I want to share three things with you right out of the text here. And I'm hoping that you're writing these three things down. Here, here's the first thing. Number one, we need to be thankful for the good in people. Thankful for the good in people. Thankful for the good in people. We need to be thankful for the good in people. I love what he says in verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Notice these words. I, I underline them in my Bible. I thank my God every time I remember you. Two words. Thank and remember. Every time I remember you, I thank God for you. Uh, about a year, a year and a half ago, I, I preached a sermon called, I don't remember what it was called, but the two main points is that we have people in our lives. Some are balcony people and some are basement people. Remember that? So balcony people are like they're upbeat, positive, encouraging. You can't, like when you come to church, you're like, I, I got to get around them because I know I'm going to get fired up and encouraged, right? How I many of we got balcony people in our life? Can I point out a couple in our service right now? I would say Billy and Billy for sure. Landon, if you've, if you've ever, if you're ever in a bad mood, try to find Landon because he will make you feel like a million dollars. Balcony, balcony, Ralph and Sandra, balcony, Misha, you are one of the sweetest person in our church. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, balcony, 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 right? And you just love to be around these people. Like, they just encourage you. And so Paul says, every time I think about you and remember you, like, I thank God for you. You're just a joy to be around. Then we have basement people. Ugh. You avoid them in the church lobby. You see them on the coffee line and you're dying for coffee, but you're like, I'm going to pass on the coffee today. I'm not going to go around you know what I'm talking about? And we got, we got some basement people on our staff and in the building. Let me point out a few of those. I'm just kidding. Just relax. But, isn't that, but, but Paul says, hey, when I think of you, man, I thank God for you. That, that is so awesome. Balcony. And how about this? Here's the point. Let's thank God for the people that God's put in our life. I don't know about, there's a tendency for us to point out the one or two things that bug us about our spouse, bug us about our kids, bug us about our parents, bug us about our coworkers, instead of saying, there's four or five qualities, man. I thank God for these things in my spouse, in my kids, in my parents, in my friends, you know? We're just like nitpicking the water, drives me crazy, he's so lazy, leaves his underwear all over the place. She's always nagging me. How about let's be thankful for the people in our life? This is so true. We, I've said it before, we pray for things, God answers, and then we complain. Just like the Israelites. Isn't that true? God, I'm like 39 years old. I want to get married so bad. So bad. And God brings you like a gem. You get married, and like six months later, he is driving me crazy. No kids. I just want people in the church have kids. We just want kids so bad. Can't have kids. Two years, five years, seven years, ten years, finally. They come out like boom, 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 four right away. You're like, can you take two back? <laughs> kids are driving me insane. This happens at church too. We, listen, we pray for God to save people. He does. And we're like, man, the traffic and live checking and children in the street. And we got park across the street. And I know they got golf carts and everything, but this is like a hassle. Didn't you pray for God to save people? He filled our church and then we're complaining about it? So we got to be really careful that we're not like the Israelites. 
Let's be thankful for people in our life. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says we need to believe the best about people. Here's the second thing. Be patient with the progress in people. Be patient with the progress in people. We were at a wedding on Friday night. My wife was telling some people around the table when I, because I played basketball in high school and college. And so if you're, you play basketball, you got to be tall. I was four feet 11 in my freshman year. And when I was growing up, like some of you, I would get back against the wall. And my mom would take out like a pencil. Like a relative or a friend that hadn't seen you for four or five minutes comes to the house. And they're like, wow, Stevie really grew. That's what they used to call me. But I, I didn't notice it, but other people noticed it. I didn't notice the progress, but other people noticed the progress. How about this? We need to thank God for the progress in us. And we need to thank God in the progress in other people. By the way, if someone's a brand new Christian, they're not going to act like someone that's been saved for a year or five years or 10. Let's be patient with the progress. I'm thankful that when I got saved, I still cussed, I still drank a little bit, and I had some friends, people in my life that were patient with me. Aren't you glad that God's patient with you? So let's be patient with the progress in people. Everyone said amen? amen. So when this building was complete, like 12 or 13 years ago, I think, through every stage of the building process, we had an inspector come in, drywall. Guy come out and inspect the drywall. He was actually looking at how far the nails were in, like, I think it had to be every so many inches. Electrical, someone said six inches, you're in construction, aren't you? All right, I'm going to use it next service, they're going to be impressed. I say six inches apart. I don't know how to fix anything, by the way. Electrical, ADHD, and when we, before we had our first service, they came in for what is called a final inspection. They came up here on the stage. We have a lift back there. They had to make sure the lift worked for handicap. Uh, we actually had to move at the old, but we had to move our water fountain. So it was all in and, and he said, no, no, you got to move it to the other side. And they, met, they actually hit the button on the water and it had to measure like at least four inches. It was crazy. And all these inspections before we can get occupancy. Now listen, wouldn't it have been really unfair for them to come in like the first week of construction and put a fail grade on it? We're not even, we haven't even started, what? How often do we do that in, the pe in people's lives? It's like failed. No, no, let's thank God for the progress in people. Philippians chapter one, verse six, Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a work in you, in them, in your kids, in your parents, in your brother, in your sister, in your coworker, in your friend, he will complete it. So, you know, we have three kids, right? You don't know this, in junior high and high school, all three of them had a major drug problem. They were drugged to church every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning. Never did drugs, but they were here every, we never talked about it, we never prayed about it. They never said, hey, is there any way we could, no, no, you're coming. And they would be sitting on the front row like in junior and high school and they didn't worship. My wife, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't do, they're sitting in the front, like a lot of young people do, right? My wife was like, can you say something to them? The whole church is watching them on the front row. At least tell them to act like they love God. And I'm like. And they were like kind of not into it. And honestly, didn't really like coming to church that much on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night for many, many years. We got really frustrated at times about the progress in them. 
But thank God that all of them love Jesus Christ today. Huh? So don't give up on them. And even though you don't see a lot of progress week after week or month after month, hang in there, keep praying for them, and they're going to turn around in the name of Jesus. So be patient with the progress in people. Everyone said amen. Last thing is this. Be praying for God's best in people. Be praying for God's best in people. I think if we would pray for people instead of talking about them, complaining about them, griping about them, I think if we prayed for them, it might make a big difference. So like, what am I supposed to pray? Well, the text says in verse 9, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Pray that the people in your life, the loved ones, your kids, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your coworkers, that they would love God more. That they would, I don't know about you, I want to grow, I want to be more loving next year than I am right now. Anybody else? I just want to be more of a, like loving God and loving people better. I got a lot of room to grow. But Paul says, my, my prayer is that you would grow in the love of God. You would grow in the love for God's people. And if, there's, if you have conflict in your family, conflict at your job, here's a great thing to pray. Because how many, you, you try to talk to both parties and sometimes it doesn't work. Pray that they would say they're sorry, drop the unforgiveness and bitterness, and that they would grow in love for one another. So that's a great prayer. Pray that they grow in love and then pray that they would make right decisions. That's what verse 9 says. So he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So pray that they would make parents. We have any parents in the house? This is a great prayer to pray. Pray that your kids would grow in love, but they would make right decisions. That they would hang out with the right crowd at school. They would surround themselves with the right people. Because how many have made like, a, you made a bad decision in the last year or two that you're still paying the penalty today? I made some really bad decisions. And so pray, pray for your kids that they would make right decisions. That they would live a life of holiness. That they would be surrounded with the right kinds of people. So be thankful for them. Be patient with the progress in them. And then finally be praying for God's best in people. So let me just end with this. How do we apply the message today? I'm glad you asked. I want you to look right into my eyeballs. I'm just gonna, can I be just like crystal clear, candid? Number one, this is a strong conviction I have. You and I need to be in church every single Sunday. Unless we're out of town camping, we're sick or something, you're working. We need to be in the presence of God. Why? Hebrews 10, 24 says, do not forsake the gathering of the assembly as some are in the habit of doing. So it's, it's a habit. I've told you this, our family has never talked or prayed about coming to church. You're like, well, you're the pastor. Well, we wouldn't talk or pray about it anyhow. Like we're, we're gonna be in the house of God, come hell or high water. So be in church every Sunday morning, but that's, that's a beginning point. We want you to go deeper. We want you to go deeper. We want you to serve in a ministry somewhere. Do you know how many people have started serving in a ministry? Boy, girl, start talking. They're married today. Got kids today. We say it all the time. You come to new life, you get a wife. <laughs> so start, start serving in ministry and you start meeting some people. Here's the third thing. Listen, Sunday church attendance, serving in ministry. Number three, you got to be part of a small group. It could be a Tuesday night, Friday night thing, Monday night thing. You could lead one. And by the way, listen, Carol, there is a criteria for leading a group. Like, I'm going to start teaching the book of Ezekiel. 
We're not sure if you can do that, okay? So there, there's some, we want you to have been, been here for at least a few months and we're gonna have an interview with you and stuff and you don't just get to teach whatever you want. So there's a process. We wanna use wisdom. But some, some of you need to lead a group. Some of you need to start attending a group. It's important. You're like, well, I went to one group and I just didn't like it. How many have ever got a really bad haircut before? In junior high, when uh, in the 70s, when long hair was like in, I went to this barber, it was a female barber, after school, and she forgot to put the clippers on the shaver thing. And when like long hair was like way in, like Saturday Night Live stuff, you know, Saturday Night Fever stuff, all that stuff, grease, she basically shaved the back of my head. She's like, ah, I'm so sorry. Here's what she said. I had a, she said, I had a liquid lunch. So she got drunk right before she cut my, so here's the question. Did I ever go back to that barbershop? But did I still get my hair cut? How many have ever been to like a really bad restaurant? I mean, the food tasted like Purina puppy chow. So it's like awful service is bad. So did, you probably didn't go back to that restaurant, right? But did you, you're like, I'm never going to a restaurant again. Well, it was just one place. So there's bad groups, right? But you don't throw the baby out with, uh, so it's important. Let me just say, I want to end with this. I want to end with this. There's so many awesome small groups in our church. But I was talking to Alan Phyllis Norquist the other night, and there's several people. All right, hold on a second. Let's all do it together. Because he is my mentor. So when I say Alan Phyllis Norquist, we're going to all clap because they're in the service right now. I was talking to Alan Phyllis Norquist on Friday night. No, because my wife and I went to their small group a couple months ago and like the food was amazing, the fellowship was amazing, but we've seen things happen in that group. Like someone gets sick and somebody passed away and the whole group rallied around. In fact, people in the group came to me and just said, hey, don't worry about so-and-so, we got them. And they call them and they visit them and they encourage one another. And that, that, that's, listen, that's the church. That's the church. Listen, we want you to come on Sunday morning, but the church is getting deep with people Iron sharpening iron. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I'm challenging you. I'm correcting you. I'm, I'm in it with you. We got to go deeper. I, let me just say this. With the plight of our country right now, who would have thought like 10 years ago we would say, one day they're going to like ban church services. But now I'm like, who, like who knows? Another five or 10 years, they might say, we can't meet like this. We might have to be like the Chinese church that meets underground. I'm just saying, it, it could come. But we gotta be in a relationship with people that will hold us accountable, that will encourage us, that will love, that know us and know us. Huh? That know us and know us. So, all I can do, look at me, all I can do is provide opportunities, a list of small groups for you to join. I can't make you do it. Like Gold's Gym, they just have, they have all the stuff there, all the weights. The treadmill, the elliptical, they can't force you to work out. So what we provide the opportunity, you got to step in and go deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, the word that we've heard in the book of Philippians about the importance of community, the importance of fellowship, the importance of going deeper with people. 
God, I pray that we wouldn't just talk about it, we wouldn't just preach about it, but we would put this message into practice. So Holy Spirit, speak to us. Tell us what our next step is to go deeper with you and deeper with people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.